Welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. My name is Mackenzie Britton, and I am the producer for the podcast and your temporary host while Pastor Joe is on vacation. This past Sunday at Bothell, we welcomed the Reverend Steve Jerby from the University Congregational United Church of Christ in Seattle. Join Reverend Jerby in discussing Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13 and 18 through 26, and how Jesus calls us towards opportunities to be witnesses in God's expansive and beloved community. Check it out now on Bothell Amplified. Good morning. My name is Leslie Hayton. Today, our scripture comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13 and 18 through 26. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax collection station and said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well and have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman, who had been suffering from a flow of blood for twelve years, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that, from that moment. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the report of this spread through all of that district. Holy words for God's people. There was this uh, phenomenon that was happening back in the 1990s, or as my teenage daughters like to say, in the late 20th century. (laughs) They like to remind me just how old I am. But there was this phenomenon, maybe some of you remember this, where there were these posters with all these geometric patterns. And if you looked at it, all you saw was uh, just this, this mosaic of images, but it didn't really show anything. But if you shifted your focus just a little bit, these magic eye posters would reveal a 3D image that would pop off the page. And all of a sudden, you could see something that wasn't there before. We've had some uh, more recent examples of this. You might remember, uh, I don't know, five or six years ago, the audio clip that said, uh, was it Laurel or Yanni? And, uh, 
And the first time you heard it, you were convinced of what it was. But then when you found out there could be another word that was being spoken, and you listened to it again, and you could only hear the new word, and you couldn't remember the old word, right? Or there was the, uh, the dress, right? Was it gold or was it blue? These, these things where we're convinced we know what's happening, and then all of a sudden we have a disruption in our understanding, um, and we're seeing things differently. And those disruptions, they, they capture our attention. They might even go viral because all of a sudden we, we think we're perceiving one thing and then something else shows up. I think that's actually what's happening in this gospel reading for today. It's a, a story of disruption. And even in my preparation for this sermon, I had some of my understandings and preconceived notions disrupted about what, what the pattern was in these seemingly mixed up stories, right? We start off with uh, the call of Matthew, the tax, tax collector, to come and follow Jesus, right? So Jesus says, hey, come follow me. And Matthew's like, sweet, I'm with you, right? And then we move to a story of table fellowship uh, and uh, religious elite that are critiquing who Jesus is hanging out with, the sinners and the tax collectors. And then we get this story of uh, the woman with a flow of blood and the resurrection of the child, right? And what is it that ties all these together? Originally, I thought, well, these are folks that are marginalized. And, and the theme is their marginalization. They, they're outside of it. Um, and that makes a lot of sense because one of the ways that Jesus' liberating work shows up in the world is by uh, taking those who have been marginalized in society and centering their experience and their story. It's a great message. It's just not this one, right? Uh, Rabbi and New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine updated her own work in the Women's Bible Commentary around these stories and, and the section of Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9 um, and said, the challenge with identifying these figures as marginalized and as outcast, you have to ask the question, they are cast out of where and marginalized by whom? To say they were marginalized by Jewish society is historically inaccurate, and it portrays Judaism as elitist and uncompassionate. Tax collectors were not outside of Jewish society. They were actually more like toll booth workers uh, than tax collectors. Uh, and most of them were not taking advantage of folks around them. And, and if they were accumulating wealth, they were cast out for other reasons. Most of these were just working stiffs who happened to have a job that was more closely aligned with the empire than others in society. They weren't outside the community, they just worked for the state. And folks had some kind of feelings about the way government was functioning or not functioning at the time. I don't know anything about that these days. <laughs> right. 
This is ancient times, right? So, so they had different relationships to communities, but same thing with sinners. They weren't outside of the Jewish community. They were just behaving in a way that had folks looking at them in a particular way. But they weren't outcast and they weren't marginalized. Even, even these stories of sickness and death was not about some condition or status that folks had. It was really about the protection of the health and well-being of the community. And I got to tell you, this makes a lot of sense to me because these days, after having lived through our pandemic, I am much quicker to tell somebody who is sick to stay home from work, to stay home from church, to not go to school. My kids tell me they got a little tickle in their throat. I'm like, you're not going anywhere. Just stay away from everybody. Mask up, right? We're a little more cautious because we're a little more aware of what community health looks like. And even women were not marginalized. They did live within a patriarchal society, and there were societal expectations, but they also could have their own money, could own their own land and property, could move with some independence within that patriarchal society. So their relationship was different, but they weren't marginalized in the way that we tend to think about marginalization. So this understanding of all of these might be a disruption to what unites all these stories. But really, Jesus is reminding us of just how inclusive God's love is. Matthew's 8th and 9th chapter is all about the inclusive power of God's love and the expression of God's beloved community. Shows that that God's love shows up in all forms of gender expression. Shows up in all forms of economic status. Shows up in abilities and in disabilities. It shows up in community connections. It shows up in your relationship or your resistance to the empire. God's love is for all. And Jesus continues to reinforce and retell and reshow how God's love is always inclusive, always expanding drawing space. A major theme in Matthew's gospel is is Jesus' relationship to the Hebrew scriptures, and, and that Jesus says, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So it, it's made clear that, that Jesus is expressing what has always been true of this Jewish faith, that it is a faith that draws into all. There is a place for everyone. We see this made really clear in the healing of the woman with a blood flow. She doesn't touch Jesus, thereby making him ritually, cultically impure. She touches the fringe of his robe, the tassels that were tied on to remind them of their life of prayer and commitment to God. By touching the tassels, The expectations were still there. But in Jesus speaking to her, he calls her daughter. The most important 
space of identity in the ancient world was your family. Your whole identity and relationship to the rest of society came out of your family identity. And what Jesus does in calling the woman with a flow of blood daughter is redrawing and realigning the boundaries of family in new and expansive ways. This, this new understanding is a disruption like those viral posts or those magic eye posters. Disruptions that capture our attention. But the problem is, while it might capture our attention, we as people prefer stability. That's why viral posts only go viral for a minute and then they fade off. We only like it when it's flashy and new, but as soon as we can revert back to the places of comfort and understanding, that's where we go back to. And institutions, which are expressions of people, are even more concerned and focused on stability instead of disruption. So we redraw those lines and, and we revert back to our previous understandings. It takes active participation in our lives of faith. And within our church and our community to redraw these lines of inclusivity. We get to ask the question, where is God drawing the lines of inclusion among us? Where are we experiencing God's new understanding of family and beloved community? What does the divine empire look like in contrast to the empire of the world? What is God doing in our lives? Because if we only see folks as others and as marginalized, we fail to recognize that that is our identity too. Folks who find themselves struggling to find their place, yearning for healing, reaching out in the face of grief and death, wanting to be invited into a life with deeper meaning and deeper purpose. These are not folks on the fringes or on the outside. These are who we are. So how is Jesus inviting us to refocus, to perceive things that were always there but never caught our attention? What is the disruption that God is speaking into the community of Bothell United Methodist Church? How is God seeing you? Finally, I want to share some wisdom that uh, a seminary professor once gave to me. My professor said, beware the commas. What this means is there are times when the texts get chosen for a particular day, the appointed text. These are called the lectionary. And sometimes they have this story that comes along and another part of the story, and they skip over a whole chunk of it uh, and replace it with a comma. Today's gospel reading was Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13, 
comma, 18 to 26. So maybe you're thinking, what's missing? What did we skip over in this uh, reading? Well, it's the, the teaching that Jesus gives explaining new wine and old wineskins. And I understand why it got replaced with a comma, right? Because we're hearing this whole litany of stories of healings and wonders and callings and miracles. And then all of a sudden we get this, this kind of aside to the teaching. But here's the thing. In the ninth chapter of Matthew, and this is true in lots of ancient texts, the comma is really the punchline to the story. We are conditioned and trained to hear the punchline at the end of the joke, right? To get the moral after we've heard the fable. But in ancient texts, you can often find it sandwiched right in the middle with stuff before and after. And I think the purpose of what's happening in all of these stories has something to do about new wine and new wineskins. So the, the wisdom tells us that new wine is active. It is churning and moving, right? There is yeast that is in there that is eating the sugars and churning things around. And this is what creates the fermentation in wine. And if you were to take this really active, living, moving liquid and put it into the rigid, solidified structure of old wineskins, there's not enough room for that movement to happen, but that movement is going to still take place. And what's going to happen to the old wineskins is they're going to burst. So Jesus says, if you're going to be dealing with new wine, you need to have new wineskins. And Bothell UMC, I believe this summer is your season of new wineskins. Can I get an amen? Right? What are you excited about? What is the new thing that God is up to, right? You got Pastor Joe, and I love Pastor Joe. I can listen to Pastor Joe teach and preach all day long, right? But Pastor Joe ain't here, so you got all these new voices that are coming in. What are the new voices that are pouring into your new wineskins? How is worship looking different now that you're gathered together in one space? What's happening in your community as you're gathering in small group ministries in new ways to develop transformed relationships and transformed conditions? What is the new wineskin that God is active in as you are gathered and sent to do service and witness into this community? What is the new wineskin that God is up to in the life of this church? Are you ready for this Pentecost moment? Are you ready for the, the new wine that is churning among you already, right? Are you ready for your neighbors to be out there and say, I don't know what's going on, Brian, over at uh, Bothell UMC. I kind of think they're drunk. <laughs> but no, 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 it's only 9.30, right? But instead, we got that Pentecost fire that is alive and active in our midst, right? We got that Pentecost new wine that is churning and moving. And, and here is the opportunity for us to be witnesses of God's expansive community. 
of a, a beloved community that welcomes gay and straight, bi and trans, queer, and the kinship of God draws folks in, rich and poor, black and white, Asian and indigenous, Latino, Latina, Latinx, citizen or refugee, sinners and saints. There are no lines and barriers and restrictions to God's love and the way that Jesus' grace pours over us. This is the empire of divine love which stands against an empire of division and hatred and violence. We are the ones who are blessed as peacemakers. We are blessed when we are poor in spirit. We are the ones who are blessed in our meekness. God is redrawing the lines of expectation. God is pouring new wine into our faith and giving us new wineskins to live within. Jesus is calling us. Jesus is healing us, sharing table with us, and even raising us from the dead because new life is all around us. New Life is here. And that is our good news. Amen.